0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: another edition of Troy Noons, is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyon.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Uh, Before we jump in, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information, and listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want, Um, and get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial today at audiblepodcast.com. Slash Noon's magician. So yeah, it's uh officially just basketball season.
2: Yes, we've been we've been freed from our our unfortunate football bonds, and now we get to watch uh, a better basket, but still kind of frustrating. But you know, still overall I think pretty decent basketball team, exclusively. So I don't know. It was was a wild and bumpy ride, but I can't say I'm disappointed to see it end. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was the worst part for me, is
1: after months and months of counting down to uh, to football season and everything else, to to be praying for it to be over um, by mid-November. It was just heartbreaking to me as a football fan, and I, I know you feel the same.
2: Yeah, it just it, by the end, it really felt like a chore to follow the team. And there were like, I'm watching the BC game, and I want to be watching. I mean, I was watching other games as well, and I find myself paying way more attention to a Michigan Ohio State game that I don't care anything about, rather than you know the team I actually root for and support. So, just really disappointing from that end. Um, and this is the first time since that I, I think that first Maroon year that we haven't been playing for a bowl. Uh, at the end of the year, which is, you know, obviously pretty heartbreaking um, in and of itself. And then to watch the team go out and just look so bad uh, in the last game, you know, when, you know, you you could argue what there is to play for, but you still want to look good. And especially against the rival that we, you know, try to promote. And, you know, we always talk about toughness in Northeastern football and all this stuff. And we just, you know, it's been embarrassing. And luckily no one seems to have noticed. So outside of our little, year, so I'm not sure if that's better or worse, but um it is what it is. It's uh it was rough. It was a rough end of the year. Yeah, and
1: I I mean I think we're in for what I hope are at least a couple tough decisions. Um whether that's from Schaefer, or Dr. Gross. Um I know those who write for the site, I don't think any really want to see Schaefer out the door um while there are commenters who feel otherwise, uh, but I, I do think that that there have to be changes, kind of, um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I'm not sure where, but, but I don't think that this is the type of season that, even with injuries, you can just sit back and go, "Okay, we're going to give you the same coaches, the same product on the field next year, and expect the fan base to be okay with it."
2: No, and I think one very easy change they could make is uh testing recruits who have committed to their school backs. That'd be that'd be a good change that I don't think requires even, you know, any staff uh turnover. So hopefully we see that because that's uh, not something we want to become known for, especially when we're struggling to win games and recruiting is having an uptick but we don't know what the future lies in recruiting because of the assumed departure of George McDonald. So yeah, that's really a bad bad look for a team that didn't do well this year like a a decent team you know can can they shouldn't do it either and most of them don't or if they do you know it's it's you know signed off as a cost of doing business with a great school at three and nine Syracuse can't afford to be alienating when you know coaches and and friends and family members remember that stuff so that was really determining to see today
1: yeah, I was very disturbed by that, and, and I saw that uh, in my tweets kind of about it started appearing in some other uh, blog posts around the web. But um, it, it, it's definitely not the type of thing anyone wants to hear about their program. But again, like you said, especially one that has struggled as mightily as Syracuse has and just really hasn't hasn't seemed like they're up to snuff um, in the recruiting game and on the field this year. Um, you know... Now we've given ammo to uh, to a lot of other schools in the area that can easily just point out, oh, hey, like, you go to Syracuse and, you know, nobody cares about whether you text them or not or you come to, you know, insert Northeast School here um, and, and, and all of them have that trump card on us whether or not that's something that they've done in the past that hasn't uh, really been publicized much. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unacceptable that if you're, if you want a kid to come play for you, um, you, you might want to, you know, Actually, show that you want it um, here and there.
2: The the other part of it is that it also really sells home that we're we're totally committed to this mythical Tim Lester multiple offense. Um, because why else would we be turning away players who want to play for series teams if they, unless they really don't fit the system? But at the same time, is that a wise thing to do when who knows if the system's even going to to be in existence for more than a year? Like would anyone be shocked if Tim Lester was a one and done offensive coordinator here? I don't think so. I hope. I think we all hope that's not the case. We hope his offense is great. But is it really um, is it really wise to to turn away players who, you know, we have a ton of scholarships available, um, maybe more than we expect. Because I don't. I still would bet that Darrell Estridge leaves. But, I mean, if a player is good enough to play for Syracuse in general, is it wise to cut them loose just because they don't fit a system that, you know, we don't even know what it is?
1: Sorry about that. My phone decided to lock up. Um, <laughs> no, I completely agree there. I don't think this is the type of thing where we should be buying, you know, all in to a system that we know nothing about, has really never seen the field and may never see the field. Based on Lester, this is all. Lester remains the recruiting coordinator, and as such, you know he's going to make personnel decisions based on what he thinks. Now, granted, um, you know we do have um, a glut of tight ends, and I don't necessarily know, you know, how many of them are going to see the field here. But you know, I, I don't really think we should. I turning away athletes who want to play for Syracuse, especially ones, you know, th- that that are receiving three stars and are receiving interest from other places, it just doesn't seem like a smart move. Um, I'm curious to see what happens next, um, even regarding this, because you know what, I think if there's one thing Dr. Gross is very, very conscious of, um, it's called a perception um, and, and general, you know, PR kind of buzz around the program. And seeing something like this, um, I'm not going to say that the Lester gets demoted because of it, but um, don't be surprised if, if down the road um, there maybe was a move made behind the scenes that that, wouldn't, that wasn't originally planned um, as a result.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it affects anything. Um, it seems like we've kind of tied our horse to some to Lester. Um, I mean, we go over this like every week at this point, but. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see what the excuse would be if if Schaefer went and found another offensive coordinator, but I, I would think that most people would applaud it. I don't know why they wouldn't, um, especially for the good offensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a lot of it's. it's, it's you really don't want to set you know on your first the first work day of the postseason for Syracuse, which is a whole month earlier than we would have wanted. Um, it's really unfortunate to see your, your program do something that gets them negative light, which which it did. And with Syracuse, you know, landing someone like Wes Linder isn't going to, you know, have major websites writing about you. But when you pull some stuff like that, it, it is. And Syracuse is obviously fighting for any kind of positive PR when it comes to, to football. So, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, not the best start to the off season. but hopefully things get better. Although it doesn't seem like there's gonna be a whole lot shaking up, so I'm not sure how positive we could possibly be going into uh heading into the winter when you know signing day I guess is coming up and that can be a decent day and usually it is in terms of because you don't you know there's no reason to be pessimistic about a class. Um but then I mean through spring and summer, who knows? It, this is gonna be a very hard one to, to sell the fan base on and that's the first I think that's the first time in a while that's been the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, right now the only thing we can really point to um, in terms of positive things in the next probably you know few months. I mean, National Signing Day, but really that depends on whether or not A. McDonald stays, or B. If he doesn't stay, you know, who goes with him? Um, you know, whether or not we decide to replace Lester. I mean, I think we should. It doesn't mean Lester should leave. It just means that Lester shouldn't be the offensive coordinator. Um, they'll probably try to hype up the opening of the indoor practice, practice facility. Assuming that you know opens in the next week or so as planned, I sincerely doubt it. I mean, at this point, it looks like it's almost
2: done. Yeah, like to be fair, it looks like it's close to done. And if you had told me when it when they said it was gonna be done in December that it will probably be done in December, like that's, I'll take that as a win.
1: (laughs) Fair. So I guess now. Announcing its opening and having some
2: fanfare around it
1: sort of seems a little empty.
2: I mean, they'll do it. They'll do the whole press conference. Gross will wear a hard hat. Uh, Chafer will be there. That New York College stand. Exactly. New York College practice facility. Um, so presented, yeah, by, it's a, <laughs> presented by MetLife. Hopefully, it's a, a solid facility and people are impressed by it. It looks nice, it looks like every other big time football practice facility, which is good. Um so that's like the one thing I think we've mostly gotten right. Obviously it's taken a little longer, but you know, we can't just have uh the state take over money for something like that. So we're at a major disadvantage and to see that we got a practice facility right around the time where most schools are or are upgrading theirs, you know, most schools not being Oregon, who has had like three that are nicer than anyone else's, um, that's a decent thing. So good on good on Bruce and everyone for getting that together.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I guess, you know, like we both said, we'll see. I'm encouraged, probably not encouraged enough that things can improve, that we can make changes. Um the one other thing I'll bring up football wise uh before we kind of divert to, to greener pastures is uh the the Article today on uh, on Cook Center, the uh, SB Nation Washington State blog, which I know we talked about um, kind of internally earlier today. It was just so spot on, and and while I understand that situations are different, uh, Mike Leach obviously had a much you know higher pedigree coming into Washington State, but um, at the same time, there are a lot of the same challenges Washington State, um, sometimes even more so. Um, versus Syracuse, and I think that it's a worthwhile comparison looking at kind of how rebuilding works, going from, you know, year one, getting blown out, year two, losing, not getting blown out, year three, you know, winning with winning cuff, and then year four, just winning straight up. Um, I I think while it it brings some cause for for us to be a little more hopeful, um, I can understand why, you know, some have kind of diverted to a different, um tact toward you know okay, well, well, how long have we been in this stage? how long have we been in stage one or stage two um which our our fan base in particular is very uh very anxious to do, usually is kind of you know where do we stand, how do we gate ourselves um, and so yeah. I guess, you know, just touching off on that before
2: we get into basketball. It was a really good piece and I and everyone should go read it because the, the similarities are in, are really striking between the two programs who, you know, shouldn't shouldn't have that much in common, um, being on opposite coasts and, and, you know, basically two completely different conferences and whatnot. But they're very similar. Um I'm sure both schools uh face similar recruiting challenges. Um, Washington State really in the middle of nowhere and like that's not a big. I mean, Washington in general is not like a huge football state, and they're all the way on the other side of of the state than from what I assume the uh, the main uh, source of talent is. Um kind of like Syracuse, same deal. New York doesn't put out that many players, and we put out players, and and the state, the the main players are coming from the city for the most part, aside from like one or one or two kids a year. Um, so they're definitely in in similar spots as programs. Um, last year being the the biggest example because both made bowls and both seemed to be turning a corner. Um, And if you go back to 2012, you could even argue that Syracuse was, was by the end of the year, hitting that, like, phase three part where they were beating good teams uh, with, you know, they were grinding out wins. But, I mean, they you know still won eight games two out of three years. So this year, unfortunately, it seems like, you know, we've fallen – you could argue that we were in the phase two of that of that article because they're really the last two weeks have been really awful. Um, but until these last two weeks, and even these weren't really out of hand until the fourth quarter. Like Syracuse hasn't hasn't had a blowout loss like they did last year uh, a couple times, which you know I, I don't really use that as you know giving Syracuse too much credit because they only won three games, but a bunch of much better teams, but you'd think that a step forward would be, you know, winning more games or at least holding serve with a tougher schedule, and that definitely didn't happen. So I, I really – it's hard to it's hard to judge where Syracuse is right now. Right, and
1: I think that's why, like, I answered kind of when people were talking about it in the comment section, kind of saying we're between one and two. Because honestly, like you and I said the last couple weeks, you know, the team seemed like it was still fighting, it was still battling, and everything else until until that pit game. Um, so, other than that, though, I mean, Louisville game, the score looked bad. The end of that game was bad, but you know, you look at what could have happened and probably should have happened. Um, that was a that was a game that very much um, could have gone a different way, or at least been a lot closer than that score indicated. Um the Clemson game was close. Clemson's a much more talented team than Syracuse is. Uh the Florida State game, while it was never really in doubt, um, was much closer than last year's was um, you know, maybe a couple mistakes here or whatever. Um you know, could have maybe not ended differently, but at least ended closer than the eighteen point deficit that we saw. Um in general this just was a better it was a more competitive season. Unfortunately that went both ways. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that I think that between one and two sounds about right, and I guess year three for Scott Schaefer kind of decides whether or not we're at in that rebuilding process level two solidly, drop back down to level one solidly, maybe even elevate ourselves between two and three. Um, that alone, I'm kind of willing to I'm willing to put my faith in that year three changes things a bit but I know right now um, the fan base really isn't of the mindset to do so mostly because of uh, two very lackluster and downright shitty losses, to be honest, um, to end the season against two very familiar, if not rival opponents.
2: Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I had my phone on mute. Um, That's the thing. It's really – you're stuck in between those two spots where – Obviously, 2013, you put more wins on the board, and that's ultimately the goal. But it seemed like we were farther away from the top, and now, who knows? Because we got jumped by a, pretty much everyone, not named Wake Forest, in the standings. But who knows it, what, how much of that was just fatigue from all the losing and all the close losses and and what and everything else. Um, it's just it's it's a tough spot, and. The other thing is that Schaefer was brought on for continuity, um, and it doesn't really seem great if continuity from the Moroni returns into a rebuild because it seems like he should have been taking the scheme, you know, maybe those sites set back last year, but ultimately it seemed like he was going to do a good job of making, of building that bridge. And instead, uh, it seems like, we're heading back down the ladder, which is not what you want, and especially not with an unproven head coach. So next year is a huge thing, and and I was perusing some stats today. Experience just had a top 30 defense this year by a lot lot of metrics. So that team is going to be under next year. We lose a couple of big linebackers and whatnot. But the, the defense has been pretty consistently good since Marone and Schaefer started. I'm not worried about that so much. Um, and you can look at that and say if the defense is at least like a top 40 unit next year, uh, which there isn't a ton of reason to believe it won't be, the offense just needs to become like average, and the team should be another bowl team again. But the problem is that they were so below average. They were down, like, downright dreadful um, after Hunt got hurt and we made the moves and switched uh, off of the coordinators, basically after the Florida State game. They were so bad that it makes me wonder if that's even possible with the same the same group largely.
1: Right. I mean, there are just so many changes. And again, like I I went through this with some people in the comments. I know you have, others have. There's so many pros and cons that could go either way. And I think that's why Schaefer deserves a third season, despite, you know, the drop back down to the pack, it seems. Um, I think right now we almost have to draw a demarcation line at this point that while Schaefer was hired for continuity, This is a brand-new program with very little bridge left, and I think we can kind of say that 2012 was an end to the Maroon era now, um, the departures of of, of guys like Ryan Nassib and Alec Lemon, and that, you know, 2013 kind of started a new um, chapter for Syracuse and a new conference with a new coach with largely a new staff um, and and a bunch of new kind of figureheads outside of maybe Jay Bromley and a few others. you know, we're really like some new kind of central characters. I think that on the plus side for next year, um, I think the, the non-conference schedule is more manageable. Um, I don't believe that USF is a pushover by any means, but I think it's a good game for us to have on there. Um, I know we struggled with them in the past, but again, that that's a much different program than the one that largely beat up on us while we were in kind of our darkest hours in the Big East. Um, we have Central Michigan at home. Which I think is a very winnable game. Rhode Island, again, winnable. Um, the LSU game is stupid, but we we've, we've all discussed this already. Um, we have UVA instead of you know a Duke or a Georgia Tech, um, which no matter what they do with Mike London, I think will be a much more winnable game. Um, but also road games of Florida State and Louisville. You know, the offensive of line's is going to be retooled as is the defensive line. The linebackers i am never worried about, and a lot of people have brought up Cam Lynch and Dyshawn Davis. And while you can't replace those guys, um, you know, completely, we did talk about this in the past and how Cam Lynch came in and replaced guys and Dyson Davis has come in and replaced guys. So that linebacker group has been great at this point for a good six or seven years. Um, and and we, we need to realize that, that you know, For the most part, the same strengths are going to be the same and the same weaknesses are going to be the same. I think that uh, a young group of defensive backs are going to need some time. I think um, the defensive line is going to be as stout. I think the linebackers are going to be as stout and as aggressive. Um, The offensive line came in. We thought it would be a strength that ended up being not the best unit, and, and I think we're going to be in the same boat next year. Um, the key, as we said, going into the season is going to be, you know, run the ball, and we should be focusing on that, and quarterback play, and if we can play more mistake-free, it doesn't really matter who's catching the ball, or who's running the ball, or who's in front of them, we can play mistake-free football, Um, we stand a much better chance
2: of winning a lot more games. Yeah, it's, I had a point, and I forgot it, (laughs) but uh, it's, Oof. I don't know. I had something and I just totally lost it. But if I think of it again, I'll come back with it. Um, uh, I was actually I was interested in um, in your your uh, stock up and stock down uh, piece today, which I was actually just rereading. Um, I don't know. It, it it doesn't seem weird that we don't seem to be on the precipice of making any protein changes. At least you know. Not forced one, considering this team had a, you know such a poor season and fell apart at the end like it it, it I think someone much of it was publicly or, or just amongst our our little group here um raised the question of, of if if shaper um is totally unable to part ways with one of his friends or even in the in the instance that he did with Mcdonald, he just used him to bump another one up um it seems like Marone every year we had at least and, – and, you know, not it wasn't always his choice, but we always had one or two guys shuffling in and out, and that seems pretty normal for college football. Uh, does it It seem strange to you that he uh, it, we don't seem to be on the precipice of losing anyone or, or or replacing anyone? And obviously this stuff usually happens a little later, so it might still happen. But it also could mean that if we don't lose anyone naturally, you know, did, did we hire a bunch of guys that – other teams weren't uh, looking out for. Aside from, I think, Chuck Bulla, I, I've seen a couple of different uh, programs talk about. But other than that, he might be the only one who, who other teams even look at now.
1: Right. I mean, th- that's never a good spot. No matter where you're at on the totem pole, um, where we're at kind of, um, you know, towards the, the bottom half of, of the Power Five conferences or you're at the top half or the bottom half of, of, of the group of fives down below, um, your staff should never be in a situation in which no one would hire anyone on it, um, because there's always a higher ladder, you know, to climb, um, and and that goes all the way up even to the top of the pros. There's always there's always another job, and that's how coaching works. And to to look at that staff, and, and and it was it was stark to me doing that, uh, you know, kind of stock report uh, today. was who is hiring any of these guys? And I said it in our internal conversations. you know, to me, it, it said a lot that these guys were all willing to drop everything and, and jump on a plane immediately for Schaefer. And, and while part of that speaks to loyalty, the other part speaks with There's nothing else going on. And, you know, I that's not to take away from some of the better guys on that staff. I know Tim Douts and, and, and Boa and, and Clark Lee, like, these are guys that, do a good job. Um, DeAndre said as well, like do a very good job, but they're not doing a job that, that generates interest from elsewhere. And that's I think where the concern comes from. Is that even even Bola who who does a who has a great defense and has had a great defense for two straight years now, um even with a slightly different of character both times, still like you know, buzz is minimal. And, and and that's odd to me and, and to be honest, it should be odd to everyone that, that no one fears for their job here and that no one no one's getting buzzed to leave either. Like that's complacency is fine if you're going undefeated, if you're competing for national championships, if everyone stays and you're winning, that's great. That's odd, but it's great. Um, for us, that's odd
2: and it's worrisome in my mind. Yeah, it also raises the question of what happened with Pat Pearl last year because I think I saw he was supposed to go coach him in Canada and that didn't work out. And he ended up just, like, scouting for the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. And I thought he was one of our best position coaches last year. That offensive line last year was really good. And this year um it was good for things early in the season and then injuries kind of caused it to fall apart. And I, I'm a little less uh quick to totally throw Joe Adams under the bus just because offensive line really requires a lot of chemistry, and it was obviously impossible for that to happen with the way the season played out. But, I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and say he did a better job than what the did last year. And he ended up taking what was a pretty major downgrade in terms of, you know, the general football hierarchy by taking going to that Tampa Bay job. So that's another thing. I, I, that's, you know, kind of a minor mystery. I don't think most Syracuse fans are going to be up and arms about that, but, it is weird how the staff moves that have happened have been very bizarre. Between McDonald and and Pearl's leaving without a job or without a, a real job locked up, and and uh, whatever else happens this year, the Lester thing, which we all have deemed pretty unnecessary to anoint him two weeks left in the season. So yeah, so uh, I'm hoping yeah, we're making every Syracuse fan feel really warm and fussy about this year. Um, but that's that's about that's about what's going on. It, it's, it's been a very strange, very strange, unfortunate season, and there isn't a ton to point to heading into the off season. And hopefully, this is one of those years where, kind of like Syracuse basketball, where we don't expect much, and then they come out and Schaefer is a hero again and doesn't say anything stupid in the off season, and you know we we win the fans back and whatnot. That would be nice.
1: Um, I mean, we could riff on this coaching thing forever, but I I think we should move on. I think you provided a very nice segue into. Halftime and then basketball there. Um, I think something that we can definitely continue talking about in the comments. There is a lot more to talk about um, with this coaching staff. Um, before we get to halftime, I just want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, audible.com. They are a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information, and they have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from, to listen to, on any device your heart desires, including the one you're listening to right now. Um, and if you sign up at our URL, audiblepodcast.com slash noonsmagician, you can get yourself one free audiobook and a one-month free trial of the service. So, yeah, very much, uh, type sort of a value that I would want, especially around the holidays. Um, when you're going to be traveling, whatever, now you get yourself a free book while you're going to your destination, and you can also do other things with your other devices, um, Two books I would recommend, given the week that we are embarking on. Um, University of Michigan, Where Have You Gone? All about um, some of the great players in uh, Michigan history and talking about how uh, the program has kind of faded um, from uh, what used to be a very star-driven enterprise to a very team-driven one. I thought that was interesting. And uh, also in the Michigan vein, the Dream Team, the 1988-89 University of Michigan National Championship Basketball Season. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, something worth reading, for sure, if you care about Michigan at all. Um, and
2: how round the booze? What have you been drinking, Dan? Um, unfortunately, not too much exciting stuff this weekend. It was mostly your normal macro brews and... Other cheap things. I haven't had a chance to really get out and try too many other craft things, but um, hopefully this weekend I'll have a a little more opportunity, a little more time. I was kind of stuck at home with whatever my parents were buying this weekend, unfortunately.
1: Fair enough. To be honest, I actually thought I was going to be drinking a lot more interesting things this weekend, and I ended up with a plain air selection myself. Let me just pull up my untapped. Okay, some things I've been drinking. Um, I'm from Texas, uh St. arm Pumpkinator. It's, uh, it's probably like the best and most well-balanced pumpkin ale I've had. Um, definitely a very enjoyable one. Um, I know I was up in Big Bear, uh, which is in the mountainy area of Southern California. Um, had a couple of beers from Big Bear Lake Brewing Company. They kind of a small-time shop up there with, with a few brews. I uh, had their Whisper Pine IPA and Stone Roads Pale Ale. Neither of which really blew me out of the water, but at the same time, enjoyable enough. Um, and then while I was decorating my tree last night, I got to enjoy a Southern Tier Crème Brûlée, which hadn't had the uh, pleasure of drinking until last night, and very, very good. Also had a uh, Stone Smoked Porter with chocolate and orange peel, which I had on tap about six months ago, but wasn't nearly as good this time around. Now on to better things. Basketball, we're 5-1. and one. Um, The loss didn't come to the team we thought it would come to, but oh well. Um, Michigan is also 5-1, and one, and we face them on Tuesday night. So for the those of us listening tonight or talking on the podcast tonight, that would be tomorrow. For those of us reading the post on the blog on Tuesday, that would be tonight. Um, Yeah, they have a lot going on. Uh, They also have some very good players, um, and Zach Irvin and uh, Karis Levert, in particular, are both very good by most measures. I know um, we spoke with um, SB Nation's Michigan blog, uh, Mason and Brew, excuse me. And one thing I did notice with them is they were actually hyping up uh, Rocking Christmas quite quite a bit, and uh, seem to be some of the only people doing so. You know, they said uh, Ken Palm's kind of player of the year tracker says Christmas right now is number five um, in in their ratings to uh, decide player of the year, which
2: to me is a little exciting, no?
0: For sure. It's
2: it's nice to see him there recognized because he's had such a good start, and their views in general is kind of under the radar. I, I know that some bachelor people wrote articles about um the McCullough stuff with Beheim this weekend and serious falling out of the rankings, but Christmas has been really good and if it wasn't for the constant foul trouble that he battles, like he would put it, be putting up pretty insane numbers. Not that he isn't already, I mean he's averaging like what 15, 15 and and you know, eight or nine rebounds and he's doing it in like twenty seven minutes. So I, I'm it's always good to see someone A make make a, a real good improvement from you know, after a couple of years, you know, we always bring up the rich ass in comparison, but it's pretty apt, I think. And it's great to see, you know, the, the numbers uh, reflect on what we're seeing on the court. He's been very he's been dominant. And obviously he hasn't played great teams yet, but uh, the the stuff he's shown I, I think should translate. At least, you know, maybe on not the same statistical level, he'll still be a, a major impact every every time we play. There aren't that many centers that look like right now that they could match up with his physicality.
1: I think I absolutely love the leap that that Christmas has made. And I think this one, well, in the past, we've maybe been surprised by some. I know uh, Pat Mello was probably a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Jackson, it was a slow build. You definitely saw it coming. Um, And then Christmas is is very much in that kind of Jackson mold of, we saw it coming, but maybe not to this extent. I mean, right now he's averaging 17.5 and 9. And and, and to me, that's, that's, that's great. Um, he's definitely the focal point of this offense. And to be honest, I think he's allowed Chris McCullough to really develop properly. Um, most players in McCullough's position, um, you know, really being involved in the offense early on, might not necessarily um, thrive. And, and yet McCullough, because he has someone taking the pressure off him in Christmas, um, is really able to kind of just play effortlessly effortlessly, and, and without the kind of pressure that would normally come uh, when you're averaging 15 and 8.5 and as a freshman. So I, I think, you know, Christmas's strength is twofold. It would be great if he could be helped out by some guards. But at this point, um, I'll, I'll take what I can get, and, and I think that you know focusing in on those two, it's funny. Uh, McCullough is able to fly completely under the radar um, with, with a lot of you know, college basketball, um, I think commentators, analysts, it seems that anyone I hear about him from is NBA guys, while um, college guys still seem to sleep on him. I know, again, in the same Q&A with uh, with Mason Brew, uh, they failed to mention McCullough once. And I think a lot of that is because of the shadow of the Christmas cast. So um, with that, I, I do think that McCullough is, is slowly becoming kind of almost an X, X factor for this team um who, who's able to really uh you know let Christmas get the limelight and operate you know uh kind of unheralded but but very well um in in his uh in his wake
2: yeah, I mean it's nice that we're able to run like a a real high low game with our two bids, which we haven't been able to do since i mean we did a little bit with Rick because Rick was such a good passer, but i mean that two thousand nine two thousand ten team was really good at it with rick and a o and this team the Obviously, Matulla is a little more diverse offensively than Jackson was, but it gives us the same ability to kind to run the, run the game from positions other than the point guard, which we haven't been able to do in a while. Uh, and it, it's been very effective, um, at least with those two. Obviously, the guards are a whole other issue, and we had to figure out the three spot. But it's also nice to see McCullough. He He took a couple of those little baseline uh, jumpers that we used to see from C.J. Fair. He hasn't really stretched up to the 3 point line much yet, but it seems like he has a really nice, you know, smooth jump shot, which is obviously going to be important, especially if we're unable to spread the floor other ways. So it's good to see he's, he's basically been able to score from everywhere so far, which is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that's what made him so good. Um, I mean, obviously, other than the, the matchup nightmare that he creates, especially if you're – if you're going to put your second biggest guy on McCullough, you're going to get burned every time. Um, I think Christmas kind of invites a little bit of that uh, mismatch as well, given he, he's more about athleticism um, than necessarily just like, you know, large brute strength he's able to create massive issues with. Either you put, you know, somebody who's more of a three on him and he's going to be a huge side disadvantage, or, you know, you put, you know, a traditional four or five on him and watch them get juked out of their shorts. Um, because Christmas has again athleticism and, and a little bit more speed than, than some traditional big men. Um, I think McCullough, as you said, if he can refine that shooting game, you know he becomes absolutely lethal for us. Um, because right now, um, definitely, definitely struggling to find who that other shooter is. And I mean, in the meantime, it's great. Um, we're actually out rebounding teams and, and doing very well in the paint, which is. Shocking for for any long time observer of uh, of Syracuse basketball, but I mean, what do you think so far in terms of the rest of the supporting cast? Is, is there anyone who is who looks like they could eventually step up? Now the rest of these guys, I'm not like looking down the list. It just doesn't seem like anyone has been able to consistently get it going, and that to me is at least a little bit
2: scary. Yeah, I think Caleb's going to be fine. I, he's not Emmett, but I think we've seen him, you know, show more aggressiveness down, as we've gone a little farther along the season. He hasn't refined that jumper, but he hits a mid-range jumper pretty well. He, he gets next to the rack, and he definitely runs the offense at a fast pace as we expected, which is all nice. Um, Cooney, obviously, jump shooting is still a major issue. Got to figure that out because he's really the only guy I have any hope for, and, and any hope is just like – I've seen him do it before, so I assume he could do it again, but I won't say that it will definitely happen. But um, Patterson and, and BJ, you know, are, are interesting players, but clearly Beheim doesn't quite trust him enough yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Roberson uh, looks like when he gets back. It seems like that injury that he had, um, I think, I forget what it was, back spasms or something, uh, or no, uh, abdominal strain. Um, it seems like, you know, that. Might have been hampering him. I think Beheim said that, um, and he was supposed to be a, a more aggressive player on the glass, and he might help out some of the rebound issues we've had in the last couple of games. Um, but overall, I, I think the, there are good pieces. I just think we need that one, one or two guys that need to start being a little more aggressive with taking open jumpers, and we set up finding a way to knock them down. That's really the one missing piece, because otherwise, we're we're playing very solid D. We're we yeah, have the inside game we haven't had in a while. We're getting out in transition, um, sometimes repeatedly, because that zone can turn people over quickly. That The jump shooting is just kind of an albatross right now. And um, I guess last year they never figured it out, so there's no guarantee they do. But uh, I, I still hold out some hope that at least we become, like, a, a mediocre three-point shooting team, which will be a lot better than we are what we are now. At this point, are we the worst
1: three-point shooting team?
2: No, so we're, we're in, like, the bottom, like, 20, though. And that's not good when there's, like, over 300 teams.
1: I know we were in the bottom 20 last week, and then we've gotten even worse since Now shooting less than 20% from three, which I feel like if you grab, like, 10 guys off the street, they'd probably be able to do just as well.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a big proponent of, like, Three-point shot is the most efficient shot in basketball, especially in college where it's closer. But not when you're shooting 19%. It's then, then that goes out the window. So, uh, but unfortunately, I, I just can imagine better teams, bigger teams, running some some crap zone against us and it working because we just can't bury an open jumper. So, I mean, hopefully, we've we've heard that you know we've see, we know what Cooney can do when he's on. We've seen. Uh, we've heard of D.J. Johnson's the best shooter on the team. We you know we've heard that Patterson can go off twice a week. Um, but none of these things have happened yet, and it seems weird that none of them have happened in the first six games. Like, you think it would have happened once. So uh, hopefully we're due, and it's not that we're just really bad uh, at shooting the basketball, but I'm not really holding out uh, or – I'm not I'm not ruling anything out so far. Yeah,
1: I think that's the interesting thing this season is that kind of everyone's – Everyone's kind of waiting. I think that includes, you know, aheim and, and the coaching staff is everyone's waiting for, for one of those guys to get hot and, and it's just not happening. Um, and, and I guess what worries me and probably worries everyone, um, is what happens when, you know, we get to conference play and it still hasn't happened. Then like how many losses are we looking at in the ACC if we can't really hit a jumper, um, and this team, you know, reverts back, well, stays true of form to what it did at the end of last season and can't hit more than probably, you know, well, can't score more than about 60 to 65 points max on any given night. Like, looking at the at the top teams in college basketball this season, just like last season, I just don't think that's going to cut it. And that, that, I guess, I mean, you don't want to get too pessimistic this early, but it's definitely frightening thinking about, you know, what's ahead. And I guess, you know, we'll know more after the Michigan game, but definitely a lot of worry that, that I'll try to shelter now, but it, it's going to become increasingly difficult, especially if we, we find ourselves
2: losing on Tuesday. For sure, and, and the, the ACC, I think, got better overall. Obviously, Louisville being in the league gives it a bump up, but we see Miami has kind of emerged a bit. Some of the bottom teams have improved. Um, Florida State looks awful. I, I I don't know what they're doing now, but I saw before I before I left my office that they were down big to uh uh who were they playing, Nebraska, who has had some a couple iffy losses this year. So um but overall I think the league is a little stronger this year, especially Duke looked amazing. Um and UNC, you know, they've done the UNC thing of losing weird games and then beating, you know, good teams. So they gotta figure it out or else, you know. We're not gonna go out twenty five and oh obviously. We're having to build that, build ourselves that big of a of a cushion like we did last year, um, so I think this team ends up being some of the lower ranked teams we've had or lower seeded teams we have in a while. I still think there's too much talent to not make the NCAA tournament. Um, I think the zone will be good enough to beat most average teams, especially as the players get better at it because they are still very young. But uh, it's the talent is, is a concern, and that's going to be the the real factor in in how how far this team can actually go, but again, I think we'll see the team get better. I think we already have seen Matola is getting more aggressive. Caleb, I think he's gotten better. He's made fewer bad mistakes, especially around the basket. So if those two really grow and really take ownership of this team along with Christmas, then you know it should be a fun group to watch. They're they're fun players, so that helps.
1: All right. So I guess in that vein, you know, how do we feel about about this week, uh, we have two big games. Um, probably, I feel like a lot of people started looking ahead to, to Villanova. and are looking ahead to conference play, but this is, a, I think, a really critical, uh, critical week for this team. Uh, Dan, how do you see things going um, against both Michigan and St. John's? You think this is? You think Syracuse goes two and zero? Is this one and one? Are we going to see a worst case zero and two? Um, how do you see these things uh, shaking out?
2: Um, I'm not terribly uh confident going into Michigan. I think Clusselvert's uh a, a pretty good player. I think he's been a little overrated heading into the season just because I don't remember him being a real like force at any point last year. He was pretty uh clearly the third option. Um that doesn't mean he can't be really good, but I you know, I, I think there was a little bit of a, you know, they just assumed that Michigan's best player will end up being great, which is, is fine. They've been very good the last couple of years and that's worked out. But I saw he was doing, like, All-American type stuff, which just seemed like they were filling a spot. Um, but he's a good player. Um, and then, obviously, Zach Irvin shoots the hell out of the ball and stares me. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do without Derek Walton, who might miss the game or might only play limited minutes. Um, if, that, if Spike Albrecht's uh forced to play 30 minutes uh, tomorrow night, I could see that being a really good opportunity for Caleb Joseph, who has about three inches and and isn't definitely isn't outweighed by Spike Albrecht. So that could be a chance for for Caleb to really thrust uh, through and be a be a real driving fat force and a big win. If I had to to bet on it, I'd probably take Michigan um, slightly, but both teams are pretty flawed at this point. Uh, just that's a tough place to play, and I think they have a little more experience though. The honest and a little more reliable storing wise.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with all that. Um, I know it was funny when I was talking to, uh, Zach over at, uh, Mason brew, I know I predicted that Syracuse would lose. He predicted that Michigan would lose. Um, I think there's a lot of tepidness around both teams right now. Um, I think just because the game's on the road. If it was neutral or, or at the Dome, um, maybe I'd go with, with SU. I think they lose a close one to Michigan. But I think they bounce back against St. John's. Um, I don't really believe in the Red Storm. Um, I doubt anybody really does. Um, they're just a team that has that that struggled with consistency over the last few years. Um, I, thought we, I thought last year we beat um, a better St. John's team. Obviously, we were a bit better ourselves. Um, I I don't think it's going to be an easy, uh, easy game for us. But that said, uh, I I like our chances, even if we lose to Michigan, to be able to to kind of learn from that, draw from that, uh, and rebound. So a one-in-one week, so not thrilling necessarily, but um, might be necessary if we have any shot of, of beating
2: Villanova coming up. I agree. I think St. John's becomes very important. Um I would say having them up in the dome will help. Um at MSG it's never you know, it's it's far more of a neutral side game. It's not like we're really a true road team. Um, although every St. John's fan on the internet will probably hate me if they catch one of that. But it's the truth. I've been to most of those games recently and it's pretty it's pretty orange in there. Um but you know, they do have some nice ones year. here, LU Brooklyn's no no Team to sleep on. Uh, Minnesota's a nice win. They played fairly tough against Zaga. Um but I'm not sold on them. Uh, the rest, St. John's just seems like a team that's been, you know, telling everyone there's going to be a tournament team and they're going to be back and all this stuff for like the entire Steve Lavin era, and it's just they've been kind of wall, you know, wallowing in mediocrity for the most part, except for the one year where they were pretty good and then flamed out the second round of the tournament anyway. So, I really don't buy into them. I think there's no some issues. It'll probably be kind of an ugly game. Um, but overall, I'm pretty confident that Syracuse will find a way to win that one at home. Um, and if big of a split, I think that's not a bad result for the first of these two games. This is a team that,
0: you know, we're not going to
2: run out to these. This is a better non-profit schedule, despite what Dana Amiel says, than Syracuse has had in a while. We're playing a bunch of tough games. And, you know, it's not going to be a team that can just run through the non-profits, as we found out early. So, You know, just kind of, I I hope everyone just tries to enjoy the process of it this year as as opposed to just being worried about racking up wins. Because I I think if we've learned anything, you know, Jim Beheim teams are very rarely on the the wrong end of the win loss problem, especially recently. I think we'll get our 23, 24 wins somehow. So just try to enjoy watching a team grow this year. Uh, We don't always get to do it.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think you hit that head on. I am really looking forward to, uh, you know, what happens next. And, and I think that again, I think this week's going to help us kind of, you know, move ourselves toward, you know, that, whatever that result may be. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. Obviously, you know, Collin and Christmas has has established themselves as bona fide stars for this team, but now I want to see what everybody else can do. Um, and I think that. Uh, Michigan and St. John's both kind of present some, some unique challenges that, that allow us to really uh, really explore what this team can and should be. Fun so, a week ahead. Um, and then we have, I mean, not to get too ahead of ourselves, Zonova and uh, also a very feisty um, Louisiana Tech team. And I'm not sure if you're thrilled to play. I know I pointed that out
2: when the schedule came out. Still not thrilled about it. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. Uh, that, that that Dana O'Neill clip today drove me nuts. Like Syracuse doesn't have a lot of meat left in the schedule. Like who, some one of the just pointed out. Like who does? We're halfway through the non-conference. back backloaded the non-conference schedule. It's ridiculous. Like she just. It seems like we can't do a season, and she doesn't even. She's not even like a Syracuse beat person, but she can't do a, a, a season without just driving home that stupid talking point that applies to virtually every team. Yeah, I would definitely agree
1: there. It it does seem that I mean, we have definitely gotten better about it. I, I think that it applies to most teams. I think teams have stepped up their scheduling lately though, and, and, and I think that we are included in that group that has stepped it up. Um and I think that, you know, lazy writers will continually write what they are, but at at the same time I, I think eventually, you know, it it has to it has to go away. Um just based on facts alone. So, so I guess we'll see. I I, I say it every year that, that, that that'll vanish. I, I think maybe this is the year um, because we're kind of flying under the radar. So I guess we'll see. Yeah,
2: I mean, maybe just not being uh, interesting enough for people for whatever reason this year will prevent the hot serious use takes that we're, we're accustomed to.
1: There. All right. Uh, parting shots um, before we kind of wrap up here. Um, anything you want to get off your chest about Syracuse Athletics fans?
2: Um, I think we had a really good article on the site today about just kind of enjoying Chris McCullough uh, for what he is. Um, you'd think that we'd be used to having these one-and-done players by now. We've had <coughs> a really a, a ton of them since I've been following the team um I mean, Wes Johnson wasn't one-and-done in the true sense, but he only played one season at Syracuse, and then either we've had one-and-done guys or guys who left after their first year making a huge impact, like Deion Waiters and MCW. Um And I really hope that people, like, just figure it out. Like, this is something that every... This isn't a Syracuse thing. This is, a, this is where college basketball is at the moment, and whether or not you think it's good for the sport is, is a totally different argument, but... I really hope we don't have people freaking out because Chris McCullough has honestly been as open as anyone else that we've had about his prospects of playing in the NBA next year. Um, So hopefully everyone can just, you know, kind of grow up about it and and let the kid play for a year, enjoy him while he's here. He's a really good player already, which we can't always say for these guys to leave early. Um, And, you know, support him when he goes to the NBA because it only helps us. So, Hopefully everyone keeps a very measured approach when it comes to Chris McCullough and just enjoy the ride while we have it because he's, he's on next year, right? So unless something really crazy happens, I, he will not be playing for the Syracuse next year. So enjoy 2014-15 and let's hope that he can really uh, emerge and, and help Syracuse be as good as it can be this year. Yeah, and I think, you know
1: what, um, People have to understand too. It does free up a great roster spot. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the with player doing so well that he, you know, gets us to an NCAA tournament bid or, or brings us even further than just you know first couple rounds. Um, I, I think a lot of this animosity seems to stem from, at least in my eyes, for Syracuse fans, seems to stem from uh, Dante Green's departure. Um, and then later, Paul Harris and Eric Divendorf. And though Dievendorf and Harris were at least involved in more notable moments and more memorable games, um, Green's departure after doing very little for the team um, has kind of, you know, I, I feel like it's it's really rubbed off on on all SU fans, where you see just a, a constant rooting against. And like if you don't if you don't lead the team to a Final Four, then you don't deserve to lead. And that's you know, ridiculous. I I think that if McCullough McCullough is on this team and this team gets to an NCAA tournament, based on how terrible the offense has been, um, I I think McCullough deserves whatever he can get, uh, you know, as a reward. And if that means, you know, uh, a lottery pick, then it does. And if he ends up on my New York Knicks, even better. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't really see the, the logic behind rooting against the guy when his success only means your success more often than not.
2: Yeah, and the nice thing about him is he, you know, I, I don't think you know there's just, just too many players are guilty of this, but it definitely happens. But McCullough's been playing very much within the system. He's been, you know, he hasn't been really looking for his. I know people accuse Dante of that, but that was he's still, you know, that game is still banged up that he kind of needed to. But McCullough's been playing the role he needs to play. He hasn't been taking too many shots. If anything, he could probably take more. Um, so he definitely isn't going out and just looking for his which, you know, you can probably accuse some of some freshmen who are looking for the NBA of doing. He just happens to be really good, and he's been hyper-efficient. So, um, he's definitely playing within the team concept. He's definitely playing the way that Boeheim want needs him to play, and obviously Beheim will probably not give him a, a, as much credit as he probably deserves, and that's probably motivational. But, um, it's not like he's doing anything to harm the team, and if he leaves after the end of the season, you know, more power to him. So, Uh, Hopefully, he continues to play as well as he is uh, so far. Couche. All
1: right, I guess I'll wrap us up here. Um, Dan, as always, thanks for joining for the night.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. For uh, Troy Un's and Absolute Podcast, I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, Be sure to uh, review, rate, subscribe to us on Blog Talk, on iTunes. Um, We usually say nice things about Syracuse sports Occasionally we don't But it comes from a place of concern Rather than a place of hate Really we mean it Um, And yeah Two big games for us this week So uh, go Orange
0: At Jared.